Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Sean Lichterman. Sean is a cost segregation consultant that works to maximize tax benefits for commercial real estate owners. Sean, thanks so much for joining me on the episode today. Excited to have you. Yeah, Paul, thank you. Uh, Excited to be on this podcast as well. Been a uh, longtime listener, first time caller, as they used to say back in the radio days. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Sean, why don't we get started? Tell us about your story. How did you get here? Yeah. So originally how I got started into real estate and, you know, where I'm at cost segregation right now is actually, I come from a long line of real estate enthusiasts. So uh, way back in the day, my grandfather was actually a city developer in Chicago uh, and my dad actually fixed and flipped houses. So really early on, I was constantly in buildings, uh, torn down homes, you know, putting up walls. I was part of the demolition crew and I got a lot of firsthand experience of being just in that environment. Um, and as I grew up and, uh, and and got a little bit older and did start doing some real estate deals on my own and with friends, I got to witness firsthand, you know, the plentiful amount of tax saving strategies that are in real estate, right? You know, uh, I think in the tax code, they say, if you want to um, reap 90% of the benefits there, either be a business owner or get into real estate. So real estate was kind of my, my, uh, my going. Um, and then I got into cost seg, actually, uh, my dad, same thing, following his footsteps, right? Like father, like son. Um, he was in it for the last 12 years. Um, and actually I first started on the referring side for him for many, many years. Um, so my first, uh, professional career started in pharma sales and tech sales. And I would actually just refer clients his way, uh, as they would open up new locations or new, or new businesses, you know, I'd simply just say, Hey, did you receive your tax saving estimate from cost segment? Like, no, what's that? Well, I tee up my dad, he'd sell it. I get a nice, uh, nice little consulting fee, if you will. Um, and, and it'd be the drinking money for the weekend. Um, but it wasn't until really, uh, 2020, the start of the pandemic, when I decided, well, why am I referring this business to him when I can just do it on my own? So I've gone in more full time. And then the last year I've actually been more focused on growing my social presence, you know, on LinkedIn, um, doing the podcast circuit. Uh, I've also been more involved with local community networks, doing seminars, conferences, and really my goal is just to be an ambassador. Uh, for business owners and real estate investors, since this strategy is still widely unknown. Um, and, and I'm really excited to, you know, to dive into cost seg and how it can benefit a number of business owners and real estate uh, in- investors today. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head because there are so many misconceptions and, and so much wasted knowledge where people just don't know about cost segregation and they don't understand the the opportunity to, um, get into some of that accelerated depreciation um, with their real estate. So there's a lot of different vocabulary kind of terms that are really um, unknown. So maybe they are known, but could we dive into just a few? Um, first and foremost, let's talk about depreciation. I think everyone who's listening knows about depreciation, right? But um, maybe not in the same sense with cost segregation. So would you mind talking about some of the accelerated depreciation and kind of how that works? Yeah. And, in you know, when I speak, especially at seminars or conferences, I like to kind of, you know, at least gear towards the lowest common denominator because yeah, you'd be, 
be, I'd be remiss to, to say how many business owners that do multiple real estate transactions that just have no idea what straight line depreciation is. It's simply that that's just what my accountant does. I don't know. It sounds familiar. I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, so depreciation in, in real estate or in owning a business is actually a good thing. You know, most people think of depreciating uh, an asset. You're like, well, I'm losing value. Why would I want depreciation in a real estate transaction when I want it to appreciate, right? I want to gain value. Um, well, depreciation is really just a borrowed term. Um, and it's a good thing for real estate investors and business owners because it allows you to then offset your taxable income from those rental activities or those business activities. Now, uh, in, in the case of, uh, of buildings um, depreciation, they're held to different lifespan. So the IRS has dedicated different lifespans, whether it's a residential building or it's a commercial-based building. Residential is 27 and a half years, commercial is, 30, uh, is 39 years. And that's the lifespan that those buildings will depreciate. So when we talk about the default method or straight line, that's simply dividing the purchase price, less land. So, uh, you know, I have to probably say a caveat here that land is non-depreciable, right? We cannot depreciate land, we have to take it out. So that's going to give us our cost basis, if you will. So what's left over to depreciate. Now we take that and we simply divide that over the lifespan of the property, whether it's 27 and a half or 39 years. Um, and that's what those business owners or real estate investors are simply applying each year as their quote unquote uh, tax deduction. They're depreciating, but they're using the depreciation deduction against their taxes. And reclassification, could you talk about that as well? Um, I, I hear a lot of um, questions regarding reclassification, especially in regards to cost segregation. So that would be awesome if you could kind of dive into that a little bit and give maybe an example as well of, of what that is. Yeah, and reclassification, sometimes bonus ultimately get confused for being one and the same, but they're actually two separate pieces. So reclassification is actually part of cost segregation. It's that part of, of accelerated depreciation where we recategorize certain specific components within their lifespan classes. So either they're five, seven, or 15. And uh, an amount of that is what gets that reclassification percentage. So let's just give an example. Let's say we've got a million dollar building and 30% of it is going to qualify or has those five, seven, and 15 year lifespan components within it. Now think of things like uh, like flooring, carpeting, molding, countertops. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, th these are gonna be non-structural items. And that non-restructural items is going to be what you can accelerate depreciation or cost segregate. Um, so that, that's the amount of the building that is available for accelerated depreciation is reclassification. Got it. And then what was the difference with the bonus? I know you mentioned that there was a little bit of a different difference there. Um, could you explain kind of what the bonus depreciation is? A bonus is my favorite. Um, the best way I can kind of describe this feeling, it's like when you order a basket of fries, but you get, you know, a handful of onion rings amongst you, you're like, yeah, I got a little extra. That's bonus depreciation in a nutshell. But okay. I like <laughs> it, that. It, 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 in reality, um, it allows real estate investors to um, take a certain percentage of that accelerated depreciation and then apply it within the first year. So once again, let's say uh, we've got our million dollar property, 30% 30, 30 of it reclassifies. So we've got 300,000, that's accelerated depreciation. And if we were going to do it this year, the bonus depreciation is at 80%. So now we have to take 80% of that 300,000, which yields us 240,000. So I know it's a lot of mumbo jumbo talking through numbers. Um, essentially, just know that this came from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Um, there's, there's a bonus schedule. 
uh, between September 2017 to the end of 2022, any building put into service will qualify for 100% bonus. This year in 2023, it's 80%. It's currently in a phase out. So it's going to decrease by 20% each year until it's, um, it's, until it's entirely phased out by either 2027 or new legislation comes into place, um, which you know is probably most likely. We've had bonus depreciation you know, even before the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. So it's really just a matter of time to see what happens uh, in legislation. But um, a good thing to note, I'll, I'll make this real quick here, you know, sure. talking about bonus, but another bonus to bonus is that you can retroactively apply bonus to your properties, meaning that if I purchased a building back in 2020 and I decide to cost segregate it in 2023, I can still do so. And I still would qualify for the hundred percent bonus uh, depreciation. I'm grandfathered into that year that I placed the building in service. Interesting. And now what types of properties can qualify for this? I think I know the answer, but I'd like for you to um, justify it. Is it only uh, investment and commercial real estate properties in general, or can people do this on their primary residence? So first off, yeah, you can't do it on your primary residence. Um, I guess, unless you turn it into an Airbnb afterward, you know, there's some kind of loopholes or, or, you know, runarounds you can do there. Uh, but virtually any brick and mortar business you pass driving on the road, I say is pretty much going to be, is going to fall in the guidelines of cost segregation. So office buildings, warehouses, restaurants, um, gas stations, car washes, uh, I mean, you name it, uh, even, even to rentals. So short-term rentals, uh, mid-term and long-term rentals, and I think another side to cost seg, which also which often comes with a misconception, is that leasehold improvements, so triple net leases where the tenant has gutted and rehabbed the entire building inside, that actually qualifies for cost segregation as well. You know, I mean, think of a Jamba Juice where um, the area was just a vacant um, uh, uh, a building, and they went in, they put the machines in, blah blah, blah this and that, and you know, they made a spent two hundred fifty thousand setting the place up for a Jamba Juice, and that that qualifies for cost segregation. Awesome. And you mentioned short-term rentals. Um, are there some sort of loopholes? Because I, I hear it all the time where people are saying, hey, use cost segregation with your short-term rentals to um, to really maximize your opportunities with, with um, tax liability. What are some of those? And are those real or are those just things that, you know, the the Instagram, the the Facebook, the, the ad gurus are, are telling you on social media? Uh, yes, yes for both. But you know, I, I've, I guess I've, I've fallen victim to some of those TikTok and Instagram reels where you know, pay zero taxes uh, if you form an LLC or if you just default on on your credit, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Some of those are are just plain. You know, anybody who says you're you don't have any taxes to pay is is usually uh, not not even usually they're always lying to you. If right. someone says they're avoiding, you're eliminating your taxes, then um, you likely need to call someone else. Exactly. Yeah. They're usually blowing smoke, but uh, there actually is, there actually is in fact a strategy for real estate investors to get into Airbnbs. Uh, I've kind of dubbed it cost segregation for the Airbnb sensation. You know, ever since Airbnbs came about, um, they're fantastic for traveling and they're fantastic investment opportunities as well. Now, the the loophole that you're talking about is actually it's it's, a, it's an IRS approved methodology. You just have to make sure that you materially participate and you qualify for for the it's essentially rep status, becoming a real estate professional under the short term rental strategy. So um, first off, it's only going to pertain to short term rentals. So think Airbnbs, VRBOs, and like I said before, you have to materially participate. So you have to qualify based on your rental activity. 
Um, there's seven criteria to follow, follow, but you only need to fulfill one of those. And typically, you know, the most sought after one is called the hundred hour test where you're self-managing the property yourself. Uh, and you're performing at least a hundred hours or more than any other individual involved with the rental. Um, now that activity can look like, you know, during the acquisition process, the rehab, the marketing, um, any plumbing issues, the calling in that, et cetera. So that's all going to be rental activity that goes towards this qualification. But if you do qualify, you can now make the losses active and pass through those tax savings to your W-2 personal income. So that's where this huge strategy now becomes entirely enticing for um, high income earners, tech individuals, um, medical professionals, attorneys, um, I mean, married couples that, that, that just have a lot of money that want to offset not only their either real estate uh, taxes, but also their own W-2 income. This allows you to really step into the uh, limelight as a real estate professional without giving up your day job. Right. And do they need to be a real estate professional? They have to be licensed in order to qualify for that 100 hours? Or can they just simply be managing their, their property? They don't need to have a license uh, and just be putting in those 100 hours, you know, like you mentioned with plumbing and, um, you know, making renovations, things like that. Correct. Yep. Yeah, they do not need a license. Uh, that's why it's called the, the short-term rental loophole or tax strategy, if you Got will. It. There is an entirely different one known as real estate professional status reps. I bring that up because you're kind of a quasi rep at that point, but you're only abiding by the short-term rental criteria. Now, uh, this is probably a good time for me to put my hands in the air and say, I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not a CPA. You know, please don't say this is what Sean said and then enter yourself to the IRS. Um, you know, <laughs> please surround yourself with professionals. Uh, I simply want to bring up strategies that you can then tee up to your, you know, your professional uh, circle. Perfect. And are there any of these strategies? Uh, and I think you might have mentioned it. So I apologize if I didn't hear it. But um, for real estate professionals themselves, that they can use this and uh, maybe offset some of their income using this, these strategies with cost seg. Correct. Yep. So this this came around the real estate professional status, also known as reps. Mm -hmm. um, that started really in the early to mid 90s. Um, and this was for real estate professionals. Um, think of commercial brokers, uh, those who are buying in, in, in setting up rental properties, managing construction. Um, and it allowed them to then also apply the same tax savings we just talked about in the short term rental strategy, but then for themselves. So for instance, say I'm a commercial real estate broker for Colliers and I have a successful year uh, selling you know, my listings and I'm also investing in property on my own. I can then cost seg my own property and offset some of my Colliers uh, income through the same rep status. Now, the criteria there is going to differ than the short-term rental. So it's going to be a minimum of 750 hours annually and 51% or more of my real estate activity has to go uh, toward, towards real estate. So I have to be a real estate professional. Got it. Okay. And could you walk through how one of these cost seg studies is actually performed? What does it look like? I mean, from, from start to finish. And if you want, you can give maybe a client example or just a, a really easy example with maybe some basic numbers that are easy to mental math. But um, just what does it look like? I think a lot of people have trouble. They hear the strategy. They're obviously wanting to take advantage of some of the benefits, but they're just a little bit confused on how it works. Yeah. And I think putting numbers on the table is the best way to understand what is cost seg. Uh, when I sit down with, uh, with potential clients, it's kind of like uh, when my wife goes dress shopping, it looks great on the mannequin until I put it on. 
So the same thing applies, I think, with costing. It sounds great until I actually show you an estimate and actually take you through your actual tax savings and how this is going to, you know, affect you and in, in potentially in a positive manner. Um, so a quick example is actually today uh, was performing an on-site walkthrough with one of our engineers for a client that that, that has a short-term rental, an Airbnb property, uh, and I can take you through the, the numbers there. So um, it's a million-dollar Airbnb property. Now, to gather a cost basis, we need to detract land. So on this particular property, is 20% went to land. Um, so right now, our cost base is at 800000 But they also put $100,000 of furnishings and upgrades into the property. So that's also going to go into our cost basis. Now we're at a cost basis of 900000 So um, to really increase and maximize your overall tax savings, any renovations, cap expenditures you put into the property, that's going to boost your, your overall tax savings because it's more five, seven, and 15 year property. Now, this higher end Airbnb, it has lots of upgrades, you know, so it's most likely going to reclassify above 35%, but you know, for all intents and purposes and make things a little bit easier on my, my head, because I don't have my calculator, let's just say it's 30, 30% to stay on the safe side. So of that $900,000 cost basis we have, 30% reclassifies. Now we're at 270,000 and that, that's classified as, as less than 20 year property. So this is the amount that can be accelerated. Now, once again, if you just, he purchased it this year, it's put, in, put into service. Now we have to apply bonus. Bonus is 80%. So 80% of 270 is 216. Um, luckily I already did these numbers before. I'm not just pulling them out of, out of, out of a hat. Nice. Uh, but the, the 216,000 is ultimately what this client can now depreciate in his first year. Wow. Now, when we compare that to the default method, which would have been only 20,000, you can see why cost segregation is just so heavily, can heavily drastically reduce this guy's tax bill and create cash flow to now either rinse and repeat, buy another property, renovate his other Airbnbs, or I told him, take a trip around the world. You know, it's your money, do as you please. Yeah, and, and can they carry these losses forward? I mean, if he doesn't have $216,000 to offset, right? Um, can he carry that forward for the next, you know, um, several years? Is there a certain limit on that? Oh, hundred percent. Yep. You can carry that forward. Um, I believe the limit's about 20 years, but, and I, I kind of hear it's indefinitely, but as long as it's 20 years, I, I don't think anyone's going to carry their cost seg tax savings more than 20 years. Um, but yes, uh, we see that all the time. Um, you know, more often are we going to see a drastically reduced tax bill, but often we're going to see it's just wiped out your tax bill for the next one, three, sometimes five years. Got it. And you mentioned the the um, the example of the dress uh, on the mannequin, right? So when is it not going to be beneficial? What are some of the drawbacks for cost segregation? When is it not going to really be beneficial for somebody to do? Yeah, and as much as I love cost segregation, and you know, I, I know there's a lot of um, stigma behind it, uh, and, and there's a lot of rally behind it. It's not a fit for everyone. Um, you know, it's really probably not going to be best for those new to the scene real estate investors because they just don't have a tax liability to offset or their rental hasn't produced enough to really offset that tax liability. Um, also, it's probably not going to be the best for those one-off rental investors. You know, they just buy a long-term rental and they hang on to it 10, 15 years, but they really have no other plans to, to grow. You know, it's probably not the best fit there. Um, flippers. If, if you're buying and flipping houses, it's not going to be a good fit there. You're going to pay something known as recapture tax on the back end. Uh, now, there are strategies to get around that. But uh, once again, it's, it's probably not the best suited for flippers. If you're going to take the cash and run. Um, if you have a lot of carry forward losses, so let's say you had bad investments and you're carrying forward those losses, 
you know, if we're just adding depreciation to your deductions, essentially we're just adding nothing to nothing. Um, you're not going to feel the benefit now. You're going to feel it a lot later. And I'd say one one final caveat: um, not enough cost basis. And I see this sometimes uh -huh. in 1031 exchanges where um, the capital gain might be two million dollars, and then they go and purchase a two point one million dollar property. The cost basis is now you know tens of thousands of dollars. Not realizing we can't cost seg your deferred capital gains tax off of a 1031. So. Uh, that's something to also be mindful for real estate investors as they're doing 1031 exchanges and they want to cost seg on the on the, the the new property. Just make sure there's enough cost basis for them to do so. Got it. That's a that's a really great tip. And um, I want to dive back in. You mentioned depreciation recapture cost. Um, what have you seen? Is that a big problem with a lot of people who are trying to do cost seg? Is that something you turn people away because of they don't understand or realize that they might have to pay that or that they will have to pay that? Uh, it, it is a question that I often, you know, I'll bring up when, when we're actually in our first internal meetings um, before we even put pen to paper. What are your plans for this property? Are you planning to hold it on five, 10 plus years or are you going to flip this in a year or two? Uh, if the answer is yes, we're looking to flip it. I'm going to let them know there's going to be recapture tax, you know, talk to your accountant see if this is actually going to be beneficial for them. Um, you know, I, I think another misconception is be that that we don't work in line with CPAs. We 100% do. I love talking with CPAs and I love working with client CPAs because it just brings the whole picture home. Where I don't like working with CPAs is when they're either, they have no idea what cost seg is, uh, or they have the misconceptions that it's going to cause an audit and you're going to get taxed and fine and all this other stuff. Uh, now that becomes, you know, but that, that, that's few and far between. Is, um, is there a, a higher likelihood that there will be an audit if you do cost seg? I'll have to say, you know, the short answer is no, but you also have to be careful and you have to be mindful for how you're doing your, your studies. Now, there's a number of different ways to, to skin a cat, as they say, and there's a number of different ways to do a cost seg study. In the IRS, it's out uh, in the tax code, it's outlined that they prefer an engineering-based study, which is what, you know, our company provides. Uh, we actually put boots on the ground, they walk the property like we did today, they analyze all the different components within it. We, we actually take pictures, we take blueprints, appraisals. And this is what all goes into your cost seg analysis. And actually it's a benefit for you because ultimately we find more tax savings than either an accounting based uh, cost seg will do. And especially a DIY is going to do. Now on the back end, we talk about audits. I just say, be mindful. This really becomes, you know, I'm gonna have to put this on the shoulders of the real estate investors. Um, of how much peace of mind do you want? Um, a DIY may not back you up in the case of an audit, uh, same as accountant. Um, you know, our firm, we do, we'll do it at our expense. Um, and I think that's, that's really comes down to is, you know, some drivers have full coverage, some drivers have no coverage. It, it really just depends on how much uh, risk you want to take. Got it. And what is the typical cost? What can someone be expecting when they come to you and they want to um, potentially get a cost segregation study done on their property. Um, can you talk about kind of pricing, how, if it varies on, you know, a larger property, smaller property, what that looks like? It, do, it does vary. Um, there's kind of a sliding scale. It depends on a number of factors. One, what type of asset type is it? So what type of building? Is it an office building? Is it a warehouse? Is it a gas station? Is it a rental property? Because that, that that's ultimately going to be how easy or difficult is the study? Is there more specialty equipment involved? Um, the purchase price, are we looking at a $250,000 rental? Or are we looking at a you know $250 million hotel complex? That's also going to go into the price. Let's see, on average, if we're looking at 
$250,000 to $500,000 rental properties, you're going to probably pay anywhere from $2,500 to maybe $5,000 tops. Uh, and that, once again, it's going to vary based on where it's at, what you're putting into it, purchase price. Um, you know, where you start, it, very rarely are studies really over $10,000. $10, you know, it, it, it's just, you just don't see them as many of these days. Um, and, and a good thing to note is that the study fee is tax deductible. So let's say it's a $5,000 study fee. It's more like you paid $3,500 for, for it actually after taxes. That's uh, that's great to note as well. And um, what are some of the common questions that individuals looking for cost segregation come to you and normally ask that you might be able to answer right now? What, what's that <laughs> most common question that you usually get? You're not actually going to get money back. When we talk about tax savings, it's applied to the, the amount that you owe to the IRS, what you pay Uncle Sam. So we're not going to write you a check. You're not going to get, <laughs> we're not going to deposit anything into your bank account. Um it's wiping out what you owe at the end of the year to Uncle Sam. Now, Got with it. that, you're using that cash flow to then, you know, put towards other things, renovations, more property, trip around the world. So do you commonly get a lot of real estate investors, maybe <laughs> like you mentioned, the short-term um, rental strategies with the Airbnbs? Do you get a lot of people who are using these tax savings to then go on and, you know, use that extra $200,000 like you mentioned today? Um, for a down payment on another property that they're going to do more Airbnbs with and kind of continue the spiral that way? 100%. And that's actually kind of kind of where my thought is in, in creating and building this generational wealth. Um, you know, I've got a tagline for it. I call it purchase, defer, exchange, repeat indefinitely until you die. Now, the whole way of it is you want to buy rental property, you want to buy property, whatever it is. You want to defer your tax liability by means of a cost segregation study. When time comes to exit the property, either do a 1031 exchange, deferred sales trust, but rinse and repeat the process indefinitely until you pass away. Now, the benefit of this is that I've now left these millions of dollars of real estate portfolio to my heirs at the step up and basis. So now they're getting this, uh, inheriting it tax-free. That's how you create gener generational wealth. I mean, if you can do that, and it's a lot easier said than done. You know, there's a lot more nuances that go on in the background, but that's really it. Purchase, defer, exchange, repeat, and you can now create generational wealth till kingdom come. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of value in deferring, and and reason being is because it's the the time old uh, tale, right? Where it's hey, would you rather have a dollar today or two dollars next week? And you want the dollar today because you don't know what two dollars is going to be worth next week, right? Exactly. It might not be worth as much. So you could have taken that dollar and and made some more. And and sometimes it's patience, but it's also um, being able to know when you have a good deal in front of you. And I, I think that um, cost seg is extremely valuable. Um, do you work with clients nationwide or where are most of your, uh, where are most of your cost seg studies done? Oh yeah. Nation, nationwide. So I live, uh, in Tampa, so I'm based in Tampa. So I do a lot of community work here as well. Um, but yeah, nationwide, uh, clients, in California, Chicago, Alabama, I mean, all, all over, um, as long as it's part of the U.S., uh, Puerto Rico, there's some different tax uh, um, laws there. I mean, we could do cost exits, but they have some better incentives that it doesn't make sense. But I'd say continental U.S., game on. Got it. And a little bit off topic, but what is some advice that um, you would maybe give to someone starting out in your business, starting out in cost seg, and maybe they are looking to um, just grow their business, grow their network, grow their connections. Uh, how did you do that when you first started? I know you had your dad kind of to look up to as inspiration, but if someone maybe is just going out on their own, what would you tell them? 
I'd say a, you, uh, you have to have some interest in real estate because cost seg is so heavily tied to real estate, whether it's commercial or, you know, it's rentals. You have to have, you have to understand a little bit of tax code uh, culture as well. I mean, you don't have to be an accountant by any means, but you do have to understand some of the nuances and tax strategies out there and realize that not every tax saving strategy is going to work at the same time. I mean, cost seg is just one of a, you know, a dozen different strategies out there. You know, I, I may be a little bit biased thinking that it's one of the best ones, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that, that could be a discussion for another time. <laughs> um, so one, you have to have an interest in real estate. I have, I have an interest in real estate. I've done it, you know, pretty much since I can walk. Um, I, I actively do it today. You know, I, I buy into my own methodology of purchase, defer, exchange, repeat. That's, that's something we're trying to create here uh, with my family. Um, and then you have to be a sponge, absorb everything. You know, I surround myself. I, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, especially when it comes to real estate or tax advice. Uh, I, I'm connected with a lot of smart individuals on LinkedIn, uh, as well as in my own personal circle, and just ask them questions and try to absorb everything, go on ride-alongs. I mean, uh, I, I've been thankfully been able to have a close family friend, Don Watson, who kind of introduced Costec to the family, you know, even my dad, uh, and got to sit in some of those inner workings, inner conversations with their CPA, looking at what their tax strategy would be, and then realizing wow, we implement this, we're going to get, you know, 250,000 back. That's going to free up so much capital to really grow our business. So I've been very fortunate in that regard, but also it came with an interest. I just always had an interest in it, even as a young kid. That's awesome. And um, maybe this also kind of stems into my next question, but what, why do you do what you do? Um, what is your why behind everything that you do with Costeg? Well, there's two, right? You know, the first one's family. Um, I, I'd like to create that generational wealth for, for my family and Costig is a great way for us to do that. So I fully believe it. And then secondly, it, it's just very rewarding when you can work with real estate investors, business owners, and you get to hand them a check for, or, you know, once again, not hand them a check, quote unquote, but you get to say, hey, you saved $50,000 in tax savings this year or $100,000. What are you going to do with that money? And their eyes light up. They go, I had no idea this was even possible. You know, thank you for reaching out to me. You know, this is going to go to a plethora of things. I can hire more employees. I can bring more infrastructure. I can grow. I can kind of take a year off if I want to and just travel. Um, that that really is my why. It, it, there's really no, I have all happy clients because we're always reducing their taxes. And who, who wouldn't be happy saying, hey, you don't have to pay Uncle Sam this year. Exactly. And I mean, am, am I missing anything? Why why would someone, again, not want to do this? Is it is it only the things we talked about or is there, um, look, everything that sounds too good to be true, it is. And I, I don't think it is. I know a lot about Costeg. I love Costeg. Uh, I'm a big advocate for it, but I just really want to dig deep. Is, is there a reason why someone shouldn't give you a call? Is there a reason why they shouldn't say, hey, you know, um, when does it always almost end in a, hey, this isn't going to work out for you? Yeah, I'd say at the very least, always reach out. You know, the estimates we provide, they're, they're no cost, they're non-committal. Uh, we're going to provide, you know, as much of a detailed estimate as we can for you, just so you can review and see, does this make sense? Now, sure. we'll sit down with your CPA as well and ask the same question. Does this make sense? Now, the reason can be, I mean, we've sat in a number of discussions where it may not make sense this year because of either one where the tax bracket is, they, they know they're going to produce a lot more income. So let's utilize in a year where our tax bracket is higher because my... If I'm at a 32% tax bracket, but knowing in year I'm going to be at 37, I'm going to have a lot more tax savings at the 37% tax bracket yeah. than I would 32. So there, there's some nuances like that, you know, that that really goes behind the workings. But 
I'd say you need to get to that point by first just calling and asking the question, does this make sense for me? But to just, you know, write it off in the beginning, just like, nah, this doesn't, I don't qualify. You know, my CPA says I don't qualify. I'd say you just have another pair of eyes to, uh, to look at it. You know, I used to be a lifer with Verizon. Now I'm with uh, T-Mobile. I, is this... <laughs> there you go. No, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly the answer I was hoping for. And if someone wants to reach out to you as we wrap up here, what's the best way for them? I, I'll include your LinkedIn below, but uh, is there any other way they should reach out? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best. It's got all my other uh, handles on there. So uh, my number, you can probably post at the bottom here, but LinkedIn, Sean Lichterman. I've got my own personal website on there, there as well, where you can see some other podcasts I've been a part of. Uh, I also do a newsletter uh, that I talk about everything cost segregation. So it's not just cost segregation, but it's everything it touches. So we'll talk about 1031s, deferred sales trust, the short-term rental strategy. Uh, list goes on and on. So if you got any questions uh, or want to receive an estimate, yeah, feel free to reach out. Perfect. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. I've had a blast talking with you. Until next time. Yeah, Paul, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much.